Hey, welcome to Craft Talk. I'm Tito Mendoza, and this podcast is a collection of interviews with people of different disciplines, ranging from creativity, business, and lifestyle. By diving into my guest's story and learning about how they approach their craft, I hope that these conversations help you find different ways to improve your own. Enjoy. All right, let's do this. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Craft Talk. I'm Tito, and today I'm joined by writer, poet, and also an educator at one of the nation's oldest and best creative writing programs at the University of Pittsburgh. Please welcome to the podcast, Josh Corson. Thanks for coming on, Josh. How's it going? Doing good, doing good. Should I address you as like Professor Josh or what? Like teach? I, I have all my students call me Mr. Corson. Mr. Know? Corson. So. All right. <laughs> but you, Josh is fine, Josh. Is Josh fine. is good. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, how long have you been um, living in Pittsburgh? Uh, just about three years because that's I, I started my MFA program in 2018, I think. Yeah, 2018. And now I'm actually in my last semester now. So in April... I'll be doing the virtual graduation thing. So, oh, that's like real soon then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, thankfully, I'm like done with my coursework and stuff. So I'm kind of just like vibing, working on my book, and you know, it's it's been a it's been a good ride. I mean, three years is like a little bit longer than your normal graduate program. Like most are two, some are three. Um, well, I think there's like one that's four, but like three is like. A really it's been a really good year or it's been like a really good three years yeah so. that's amazing and like that's really exciting that it's like you're coming to that almost next chapter in your life where you're graduated with a master's and all that so that's sweet yeah it's it's a crazy feeling and it's it's like on one hand you know it's exciting but then on the other hand you're like shit i have to find a job now <laughs> what do i <laughs> yeah what's next yeah <laughs> so it's like all those new stresses are about to come as well yeah of course <laughs> Yeah, just a little background. Josh and I met in Orlando working in the AV industry, um, audiovisual. Mm-hmm. We were grinding it out as AV techs for some years. You remember <laughs> those days? Oh, fondly. So fondly. Yeah. How's your AV chops nowadays? Uh, it's funny because like I started getting into like video essays and like video poems mm-hmm. and kind of like just kind of like bridging the gap a little bit. I mean, my specialty was like audio mostly, but Mm -hmm. it's funny, like working with PSAV and stuff and like film festivals and that kind of like AV grind that I really did. It made me think about writing in a new way. So then when I decided to like shift gears and focus more on my writing, it was like, oh shit, like I can, like what can I do with video, you know? Like how can I Mm. write for the screen just and the page, you know, like together. So like... I don't really do AV professionally anymore like right. for money or anything, but like yeah. it, it's funny enough, it has become a part of like my creative practice, which is interesting. So ironic. You yeah. Know? It, it like complements each other. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's cool because it's like that whole scene is kind of like, um, it's just kind of blooming and blossoming right now. Like so many more artists and writers are thinking about how to use video and stuff. I mean, they've been doing it. That's not to say that it hasn't been done. I mean, right. people were doing that kind of thing in like the 70s and stuff. Yeah. But it's just becoming more prominent now, which is really cool to like think of it on the upswing right now, which is cool. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I mean, to add to that, we were also both graduates from the same school. We didn't know each other <laughs> in, in school. At this point, I mean, that's like two out of two, man. That's that's a bond yeah. that you cannot break. I, I know, right? Exactly. The, and, the mutual uh, suffering is off the charts. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. I do miss the free meals at work, though. That Oh, oh God. I save so much money, man, just eating yeah. at the hotels and stuff. <laughs> Josh, that's a secret. You shouldn't say that. that that's <laughs> Oh, true. Yeah, that's a, that's now, a trade secret. PSAV is going to have so many applications now. I know. It's like doing, out here doing free marketing work for them. Right, exactly. So today, I, I'm, I'm really glad that we get to talk about what you really love to do, which is writing, poetry, and even teaching. So if you would, can you share a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and what, what's keeping you busy these days? Yeah, totally. Well, I'm from Tampa, Florida, so not far from Orlando, where I went to school and worked for a little bit. And I always was writing. I was always like trying to make music as a kid and like going the AV route, like came from wanting to be a producer and, you know, like wanting to be in the studio and stuff and, you know, make hip hop. And I was writing and stuff all the time, like making EPs in my bedroom and stuff. And 
I had just always been writing. It just kind of like throughout the years of moving around Florida, working in different hotels and different stuff, I just kind of like was like, I don't know, like it's just that thing you get where you're like, I'm not doing the thing that I really want to do or like I don't see myself going as far with this thing. Music to me, just like I love it and like I do it on the side now, but it just wasn't fulfilling me in the same way. And I didn't, I honestly didn't see myself doing it. Like how many 60 year old rappers do you know, mm, right? Like yeah. it was like a longevity thing for me, you know, it is like, do I really want to, and, and music, especially hip hop is such a youth culture kind yeah. of thing, you know, where it's like, you really have to be in that moment. And I just was looking for a different kind of lifestyle. You know, it's like, I didn't want to be working 16 hour shifts and then going back for another 16 hour shift tomorrow morning right. to like lug cases and then make music on the side, working right. it in. I just didn't have the love for it like I did when I was a kid or like, you know, you have this thing that you want to do as a kid and you're like, well, let me go try and do that. And I tried mm -hmm. it and it was like, well, the thing I've always loved to do through all of it was writing, you know? So it was like, well, let me go back to school for English. Ironically enough, I was like always the kid in class who... I was like the class clown, like I never really did well in school. And now I'm like, well, what if I was a teacher? <laughs> like, <you know? laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, you know, and it was just kind of like, okay, so I like applied to school, uh, like a small art school in Chicago. I had been, I had recently visited there with my family like a year or two ago. And I was like, Chicago would be cool, you know? So I just kind of like shot my shot in the dark. Actually ended up like landing at a, a good school at Columbia College, Chicago. And I, I just kind of fell more in love with writing and just really like started honing my skills. And like, I was blessed with so many great teachers there and just being in Chicago, which is a huge literary city. It's a huge, it's just a big city in general, right? Like there's just so much art and culture. And, yeah. you know, I just learned so much, like not only about myself, but also about writing and stuff. And going through that, everybody was like, well, are you going to get a master's? And I was like, well, I don't know, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> and as it happens, like I applied to Pittsburgh uh, MFA program and I got in and that's where I've been the last three years. And now hey, now I'm looking to come out and teach and maybe do a PhD after, who knows? But wow. yeah, it's kind of been a, a funny, weird ride. Yeah. So Chicago, um, that program you did after Full Sail? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I did Full Sail. Well, actually, I flunked out of Florida Atlantic University in the music business program Okay, <laughs> after All right. one year. That's awesome. Because, as I said, class clown doing dumb shit yeah then i went to full sale for two years did that um and then yeah like i actually went back to community college in orlando like i went to valencia and then mm -hmm. i came back to tampa for a little bit hillsborough community college and yeah i just kind of like tried to get my grades up from being like a flunk you know uh, a flunking status or whatever and yeah. uh yeah and then i applied to school in chicago and hey it worked out yeah it's amazing too it's like when you find the thing that you actually like to do like you went from someone who did not care and just flunked everything that you were trying, but like yeah. now you're on a path to become an educator, which is kind of ironic. And it's, it's, it's like just such a statement to doing what you love to do. Oh, for sure. A hundred percent. And it's like my mom, my brother, my grandma, my aunt, like I have so many teachers and educators in my family mm -hmm. that they're just like, flabbergasted they're just like what the hell like Whoa, <laughs> they watch okay. me just struggle through class they watch me struggle through school and stuff i was always good at reading and writing but like that's all i wanted to do i didn't want to do my homework i wanted to sit at home and write poems and make music you know <laughs> Whoa, there's so many levels here so you you come from a background of educators yes and you yes. were kind of like the the black sheep in that oh you weren't 100%. in the studious kind of realm at first yeah Yep. A hundred percent. And I mean, like you said, you know, it wasn't until I really like just went for the thing that I really loved, you know, and mm. I, I just, it just worked out, you know, a big part of it too was like during, uh, going to full sale and like working at PSAV, you know, like I was struggling with addiction and stuff and like mm. I decided to get sober and now I've been sober almost six years and I got sober like almost like four or five months before I moved to Chicago. And wow. it was just one of those things where it was like, okay, like 
I've been in community college for like a year and a half. Like I've, I've started this journey of going back to school, you know, and it was kind of, I, I just kind of had that moment where I was like, okay, like I thought I'd be like famous or some shit by now, you know, like I thought I would be further. Mm-hmm. What's the thing that's keeping me back? Like what, what am I doing wrong essentially? Right. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, well, this, this, I'm just getting high and getting drunk all the time, you know, mm. or like not focusing on my art, being afraid or whatever, you know, and just kind of like hiding wow. my depression and anxiety in, in using and shit, you know? So it was like, once I decided to like go for the writing thing, it was like, okay, well I'm all in. Yeah. And I really just, I had nothing to lose. You know, I was like at that point where I'm at rock bottom, let's just go for it all my chips are all my chips are in the pile you know yeah. what i mean like i'm playing this hand out wow i had no idea man i mean i'm yeah. i'm so happy to hear that you made decisions that will put you in a path that that will lead you to whatever it is that you actually love to do that's that's an amazing like journey already yeah wow <laughs> a couple i'm like a cat man i got like nine lives I'm, mm. I, I think i'm on like life six or seven by now like wow <laughs> That's amazing. So like how how far back does writing go? So you like writing. Writing was always has always been a thing, right? I would say like fourth grade. Okay. I got actually I, I remember exactly. It was Scholastic Book Fair. Mm, I got yeah. a Harry Potter journal. All right. And it just started with me journaling. Like I was like, hmm, I'm just gonna like try this thing. You know, I got these thoughts. And then like fifth grade, I started writing like little short stories and then in middle school, I just like kind of discovered hip hop music and, you know, it was like, oh shit, like this thing's cool. I want to try and do this. Like, so then I just, I started writing poems and raps and, you know, just like, (laughs) just the stupid, like private school kid, like from the middle class family, just like writing 16s in his notebook instead of doing (laughs) homework. Like (laughs) it was just that kid, you know, and then it just blossomed into everything now. It's just kind of funny. As far as your music went you were you were mentioning earlier and i i completely relate to this feeling of like you have this idea especially when you're younger Mm -hmm. of oh man why am i not here yet so how did you navigate through that when it comes to your music i mean was it like Mm -hmm. your whole path when you were younger was to become like a rapper or a producer Mm -hmm. um how did that start shifting for you I got an internship at Real Feel Recording uh, Studio in in Castleberry. Yeah. And I was like working as um, an intern recording engineer. I started recording rappers all the time. Like I started sitting in on band sessions. Yeah. And like, I don't know, like my dad went to Berklee College of Music for a little bit. Like he plays in like church music and stuff. Yeah. And he's a musician, right? And like, I just, I tried to produce, you know, I would try and play guitar, I would try and play piano, but like, I don't know, like sitting in those sessions, I just realized that like, I didn't, like I was too far behind. Like it was gonna take too much for me to catch up. Mm. I didn't know, I didn't know music theory. I've never really had the patience for it. Mm -hmm. It's like more math, like music is more math. But like when I sit down at the page, I could be there for hours, man, you know, and I would, but like I sit down at the piano or whatever, I sit down and try and produce, I'm frustrated after an hour and then mm. I'm smoking an L, you know, like yeah. it just, I just kind of had, like, it just started piecing together that like, okay, maybe this was just one of those childhood things, like being in the major leagues or playing in the NBA or some shit, you know, mm-hmm. like actually what am I good at? What do I need to you do you know like what skills do i actually have that i can cultivate and grow and like water my seeds yeah instead of seeing these other gardens and being like oh i want to be in that garden it's like nah man like you got fucking dirt right here that you can water you know mm. and i just wasn't paying attention to it and writing was there all along yeah okay yeah, exactly writing writing had just i had just always done it whether i was at full sale or whether i was in chicago or whether i was in fourth grade like mm-hmm. I just was always writing constantly, constantly. So I was like, well, <laughs> that's the thing I've always really wanted to do. That's the thing I really love through everything. Mm. Writing has always been there for me. So let me just go for it. Yeah. And and what did Chicago, what was the college again? Columbia, Columbia College, Chicago. 
Okay. What program yeah. did you do there? Um, poetry. They okay. have like they were actually pretty cool and specialized in the fact that they didn't just have a creative writing um, bachelors. They actually broke it down into three genres: nonfiction, fiction, and poetry. Mm. And I was like, well, I want to do poetry, so. I was like, oh shit, this school has a bachelor's in poetry. Like, and I've always been the type of person to just like, I'm very one track mind. Like I'm not a good uh, multitasker. So I was like, poetry, perfect. That's what I want to do. That's what I decided I'm going to do. Let's do it. Uh, why poetry? You know? I mean, because before you were, was poetry a part of your life at that point or? Yeah. I mean, it was funny because like, to me, what I can like what I consider poetry now and like what I've come to learn about poetry or like capital P poetry, what, you know, colleges consider poetry, mm -hmm. you know, it's like my music, my hip hop, I would write little poems like Langston Hughes, Shel Silverstein kind of stuff, you know, just like stuff that you begin to read as a kid and you're like, oh, I want to try that. Yeah. Like that was always poetry to me. But then like going to college and like going to Columbia and stuff and like starting to learn the actual history of like that kind of poetry oh not hip-hop because hip-hop is poetry right but like just a different kind right yeah. so now i started learning this other kind that was in the library right so it just kind of like helped me expand my idea of what poetry was right like poetry doesn't have to rhyme every line or you don't have to stick to 16 bars you know you don't have to write just along the left side of the page you know you can include video you know it was like it just kind of really opened me up to to so much that's interesting can you walk me through that so like what opened up for you as far as poetry and what qualifies as poetry other than rap or lyrics yeah I think like when I got to Columbia, I was really into like what people call like performance poetry or slam poetry. Like okay. I was really into that because it like naturally stemmed from hip hop. Like you mm -hmm. can see those lineages coming from people like Gil Scott Heron, early jazz and things like that. And then mm -hmm. going to like the 80s and Grandmaster Flash and Most Deaf. And it's like Most Deaf is on Def Jam poetry and mm -hmm. Black Ice. And it was like I had grown up like watching that and being like that's poetry you know what people would call performance poetry or slam poetry you know so when i got to chicago i was like going to open mics and like performing in slams mm -hmm. and up until now in the poetry world i was i discovered that like there's this dichotomy between like performance poetry and like page poetry and you know page poetry is what they teach in college and mm. walt whitman and frank o'hara and t.s Eliot and like all these like basically canonically dead white guys, right? Yeah. Versus like slam poetry and performance poetry and, you know, hip hop, which is like predominantly people of color, right? So yeah. there was this, I like discovered this giant like racial divide, this like dichotomy between like aesthetics, right? Mm. And obviously now that's changing. Yeah. Uh, like so many more contemporary poets, right? Capital P poets who teach at universities or whatever yeah. are, Th those have been integrated right and and the landscape is changing wow. but it was like coming to understand that i was like beginning in one place and now i'm learning about this other side and now they're together it's like oh shit like wow like there's just the possibilities are are endless you know what i mean yeah so would you say there's two main factions of poetry which is you said the page poetry and performance I think most people would say that, yeah. But I mean, like I said too, I mean that that line is beginning to change and blur sure. to where people who five years ago were super big on like button poetry, which is like um, they have a they're an organization and they have a YouTube and all this stuff where they record poets reading their work and it's super performative and theatrical and it's like those poets are now like winning the National Book Award and shit, you know. Mm. So it's like people have kind of said like well fuck that i mean the dichotomy is just racism right like wow so that that ceiling is being shattered and th those walls are being taken down slowly so now here i am just kind of like i was like okay well here i am i'm just trying to absorb it all and like take it in you know and learn is there a style or like a genre of poetry that you gravitate to t most um i mean i think like for me 
if there's like subgenres of poetry that I like. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I definitely still will always love like performance poetry and slam poetry and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. That's just like, it's like hip hop, you know, it's like, it's rhythmic, it's performative and it's super expressive visually and physically. Like you see the body of the person, right? But yeah. I've also come to appreciate things like documentary poetry and things like that, which is like a smaller subset of poetry, which you think like documentary film, okay, you're investigating a person, a place, a thing, a culture, whatever, you know, but people do that in books of poems. I like really discovered that and that was really cool. You know, I love writing about nature, you know, just cause like my own life, I am a big nature guy. Like I love being outside and stuff. I mean, being from Florida, it's kind of hard to like not love that kind of thing, but yeah. like I just try and take it in all, but I think those would be like the ones that I definitely gravitate more toward for sure. And anybody writing about addiction too, honestly, because mm. I'm like, you're my kin. <laughs> right. Because that's your you know? life experience. Yeah. Yeah. And it teaches me too, right? Like it teaches me, it's like, okay, I want to do this thing. I want to write about addiction. Okay. Well, really? Now I see all these other people, how they write about it. So it, that just helps me learn how to do my thing, you know? Right. Yeah. So you're just absorbing as much as you can, any style yeah. possible. Is there... 100%. Is there like a differentiator as far as like the slam poet versus the page poet? Are there technical differences? How would you explain it to someone who might not understand that there were two different versions of poetry? Yeah, I think the biggest thing like craft wise, since we are on craft talk, right? Is that something that you like one of the benefits of being on the page is that you can break a line somewhere to where two lines could mean different things. So you can get attention or like you can you can kind of play with where things are at on the page, you know? Mm-hmm. And you can kind of like make these interesting connections that are sort of like unintended. Mm. Whereas when you're reading something on stage, you don't necessarily have that ability because you're speaking right like unless there's a teleprompter or you know a screen with the the words behind you yeah you're just listening to that so that's not to say that it's like worse or better or whatever that's just one thing that the page has whereas a performance poem or like a slam poem it just like sometimes the page can feel a little hollow and one thing you really get with that performance and seeing somebody's body and their facial expressions and their arms waving around you know it's like you really connect it's just like a different empathetic connection because you're just like i see a body whereas sometimes on the page a body can get lost you know it's just like this abstract thing of a bunch of metaphor and you're like okay i don't really know what's happening but it's just like this sort of like abstract cerebral thing and Mm. they both have their own craft techniques they both have their own benefits they both have their own disadvantages you know it's like anything you know is the poetry world the poetry network are they pretty encouraging of each other like is there any beef between the slam poets and the page poets you know what what's the (laughs) what's the general consensus as far as the different genres of poetry is it like all welcome i think nowadays it's becoming more so yes but like traditionally you know it's like just in the same way that like people of color and all of the art that they have made have been locked out of other institutions Mm. gets locked out of academia and gets locked out of the university and yeah. it, it, they still do. It's not like anything is fixed by right. by any means, you know. But it's like I think by having more voices in the academy, quote unquote, right? Yeah. Like then you just bring in all that other art. You bring in all that experience. You bring in all that valuable, like valid knowledge and life, right? Like yeah. So like I said, I mean, it, all of that is changing, you know, and you are seeing people who began as like performance poets becoming teachers in the university and working to really make that change, you know? Yeah. Which is cool. So for you as an educator, because you teach as well at in your master's program, is that part of the program is you're teaching classes as well? Yeah. So the last two years I've been teaching, um, the first, my first year I didn't have to teach. And then mm-hmm. my second year I taught English composition one, which is to mostly first year students. And then this year, I've, I've gotten to teach an introductory introduction to poetry class, which has been super fun. That's awesome. So I'm curious about being an educator for an art form. How, how, how does that work? What, did, what do you feel like your main role is in that position? 
And then also, I'm just wondering, how do you teach the rules in the curriculum? Because this is in like an academic setting. But mm-hmm. then also give the space for students to break the rules because it's art, you know? Like, how does yeah. that work? Yeah. I think it's part of me is still developing all of that. But mm. like where I'm at right now is coming from a space of like, just because I'm the teacher doesn't mean I know everything, right? Mm. Like I don't approach teaching as I'm the master in the room and everyone else is a novice and my job is to bestow knowledge upon them. I don't view it like that. I view it like we are all working together and I'm learning from them and the classroom is like a democratic, equitable space. So like, you know, for an example, like, this week, my class is going to do like sonnets. So we're going to write a sonnet, right? Mm-hmm. And we will read some... What's a sonnet, by the way? So a sonnet is a particular kind of poem, which is 14 lines. Traditionally, it follows like a certain rhyme scheme of end rhymes. Mm-hmm. Um, and like most of the time they talk about like love or some kind of like meditation on something. Mm-hmm. So when I'm crafting an assignment... I'm trying to provide as many examples and what people call like scaffolding okay. for my students so they can, you know, I'm not just like, okay, here's a rubric and this is what you're going to do. My goal really is to show them like, okay, well, this is what, this is how Shakespeare wrote a sonnet. And then this is how somebody in 2020 is writing a sonnet, right? Oh, and cool. I try and show them how that form has changed over the centuries, over time, right? And my goal is to always bring in a range of voices, a range of identities to show them what's out there. And I I like to try and think of it as I'm a facilitator. Like I'm facilitating and I'm making it possible for them to exercise their creative abilities and their energies and their loves. And I'm just helping them along the way, giving advice where I can, but I'm learning, I, I learn and relearn stuff all the time in yeah. my lessons, you know? So I really try and view it as like this equal space where I'm not just being like, this is right, that's wrong, because mm-hmm. fuck that. Like you said, it's art, you know? It's like, yeah. sometimes you have to break the rules. And I always have a caveat, like on my assignment sheet or whatever, I'm always like, if I do give any like specifications, like you should have original metaphors or, yeah. you know, whatever like that. I'm always like, and feel free to take creative liberties with these rules. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And some students do. Some students go wild. And it's like, yes, like, I love seeing where your your mind went. That's fucking awesome. And then, you know, others are like, they stick to it to a T. And I'm like, that's cool, too. Like, let's see how you did this your own way, right? It's just a matter of, like, allowing all of those voices to be heard and valued in the classroom equally. Right. That's how I approach it. Yeah. So if they're like... Professor Corson wants me to write 14 lines. I'm going to write 15. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, okay, yes. Now, why did you write 15? You know, and it's like, you got to, you got to like, you know. So it matters why they did it. For sure. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you can't just do something just because, right? Like you got to yeah. have a reason, you know, mm. I just try and keep everybody honest, yeah. a- including myself, right? Like yeah. I got to be honest just like them. Yeah. I-, I love that mentality of just learning together. And then I'm sure it's a, it's a new thing to navigate for you as, as someone yeah. who is a considered the te- the, the one that's teaching. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so that must be an interesting dynamic to navigate because you, you know, I'm sure we all sometimes don't feel like adults. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. Oh, yeah. who am I to teach these kids? these kids or even like young adults mm-hmm. to like to mm-hmm. be a, a poet how, how how do i even know if i'm a poet you know like how does that yeah. work um a hundred percent yeah uh it's introduction to poetry writing yeah are you working with different levels of skill sets as far as who comes in there or is it all pretty brand new people who are just trying to learn I mean, some people have been writing for a while. Some people are writing for the first, writing poetry for the first time. And I I love that. And the funny thing about Pitt is that it's a super big research school and like they're really good in the medical field and stuff. Mm-hmm. So most of the kids in my classes, even in my comp classes, but even in my poetry classes so far, they're like biology majors or like neuroscience or, oh, you know, okay. physics or something. So it's like 
they're not even necessarily going to school for art. Yeah. They just have this thing that they like. Yeah. And they have this passion or they think they like, you know, so everybody at least is coming with that same spark. Right. To me, it doesn't matter if somebody's like going to win a national book award or they're writing for the first time. Like if they both love it, then they fucking awesome that's that's awesome they have something in common like we're gonna work together you know it's like yeah something that i want to ask you about doing my my little bit of journalistic research you're teaching (laughs) your introduction to poetry writing monday wednesday friday 12 10 p.m (laughs) send me the zoom link um you also did some workshops and I, i there was a couple that i saw that was really interesting providing effective feedback was a workshop that you taught Mm-hmm. When, when you're dealing with new students who are just getting into it, how do you provide effective feedback so they can improve on this art form that they're just discovering? Yeah. And what's funny is that I actually, I didn't teach that workshop. That's a workshop I, t- I took. So oh. like Pitt, Pitt's Learning Center, teaching at teachers and learning center, I'm, I'm going to mess up what it actually is. But basically the University of Pittsburgh has a resource for teachers to like take workshops on these different topics in teaching. So that one was about like the thing that we talked about most was how do you not assign just a letter grade, right? Like how do you work? Like when do you give a lot of feedback? When do you give a little bit of feedback? Right. And early in the semester, you want to give a lot of feedback, right? You don't just want to wait until the end and like somebody's final portfolio and you've kind of given them a note or two along the way it's not really fair of you to expect them to meet some level or standard that you have, right? Because you haven't given them feedback to help them get to that point. You haven't built the scaffolding for them, you know? Cause it's like, you can't just expect somebody to go out and build a building as an architect, right? Like yeah. they're in a class, right? Yeah. You can't, somebody just doesn't walk in and perform heart surgery. Like yeah. somebody just doesn't walk in and write a brilliant poem. You yeah. know what I mean? It's the same thing. So I loved that one because it was really about just like how to meet students where they're at. Mm. And, and how do you see, this is why I'm not a journalist because I completely got that <laughs> fact wrong. I read it and <laughs> I was like, right. I was like, Hey, I like that. I'm going to use that. But you still gave really good feedback. So um, how do you personally, when you, when you see somebody's assignment, say mm-hmm. the sonnet, right? Say, yeah. let's go with the sonnet and you see something that they tried, but they could do it better. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's kind of weird too, because it's like, that's your opinion of mm-hmm. it could be better. How yeah. do you address that? Like, how do you communicate with your student in, in the ways to like adjust? Yeah. I mean, first of all, I like, I try and stay away from like better or mm. bad or yeah. good or like these sort of like qualitative or evaluative like um, phrases or language, you know, Ooh, because like, it's like, like yeah. you said, you know, it's like, it's subjective. What I think is quote unquote good mm-hmm. is not like I have my, I have the aesthetics that I like. I like the way certain poems are written, but that doesn't mean that every poem should be written that way. And that doesn't mean I want every single one of my students to write a poem the way I aesthetically like a poem. So mm-hmm. for me, it's like if I if they have like, let's say they have a metaphor that's like his shirt was as blue as the sky. Mm-hmm. Right. Where I'm like, OK, I get what you're going for. Like, it's really easy to see that image. It's really clear. But I wonder if it's too familiar. Right. Mm. And I try and phrase it as a question because I don't want to be prescriptive right. and I don't want to be an asshole and I don't want to be like, well, that's cliche, like come up with something better. That doesn't help them. No, you know? right. That doesn't help anybody, right? Yeah. Like, so for me, it's like, it's a matter of validating the thing that they did and then helping them kind of just, just pushing them toward a direction, right? Or mm. like not saying go here or like, you know, sometimes I'll like do an example. I'll be like, by no means is this what you should do or what I think you shouldn't do. Mm-hmm. But if I were writing this, this is what I might do. And I give that example or something, right? Just mm. like if something can't really be explained in that way, and I'm just like, well, it's easier to show somebody. Again, I'm I'm like modeling, I'm showing, yeah. um, I'm do I'm providing some scaffolding for them to then go back and and try it on their own, right? Like yeah. they don't just have to try and paint the ceiling from the floor, you know? Right. That's such just useful communication skills in general, even if you're not teaching. Yeah. Like to yeah. be able to frame things up in that way 
when you're having a conversation, it's not like my way or the highway. It's like, well, you could mm-hmm. look at it this way or, you know, using specific words to maybe yeah. not come off as so definitive helps sometimes mm-hmm. when you're communicating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. really cool. The last kind of main topic that I wanted to talk to you about was just how poetry can impact lives. I really wanted to talk to you specifically because I feel like it's a real opportune time because I feel like poetry, and this is just me, this might be just my opinion, but it seems like poetry is one of those things that it moves through life very under the radar until it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I mean by that, it's, it's like we're flowing through life and then all of a sudden a specific combination of words or performance, it just hits you a certain mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of alluding to the relevance of poets like Amanda Gorman. She received these, mm-hmm. this mainstream level of recognition with her inaugural poem. Um, yeah. And I was just wondering, as a poet yourself, did you have a sort of reaction as far as how it was that poets and a poem is being received on this like level of mainstreamness? Mm-hmm. How did yeah. how did you feel about it? Was it like a finally like you know? <laughs> yeah, I love it. I mean, anytime I don't have to explain to somebody that you know poetry is still alive is mm. great. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, right. I mean, I think the thing that people like don't realize too is that poetry is like all around you, literally all the time. Mm-hmm. Like in the music you listen to, in the commercials you watch, like there is like. To me, okay, so this is going to be a little bit longer, so I'm going to start with a definition, right? So poetry, for me, is shaped language. Mm. It's language that's been shaped for a certain intention, right? So a 30-second ad, in some ways, is going to have a certain amount of poetry to it, right? There's going to be a rhythm. There's going to be constraint. There's going to be an image, you know? So it's like a poem like from Amanda Gorman for the inauguration to blow up in the way that it did. And I think she read at the Super Bowl as well. And it's like, yo, like that is sick. You know, it's like, it's cool because it's like, okay, people are finally seeing that, yeah, poetry is all around them. It's out there. It's contemporary. And I think that's one of the big things too, that like is always shocks my students where they're like, I'm like, yeah, we're going to read Walt Whitman. We're going to read this old dead white guy. Right. Mm -hmm. But like, we're also going to read this contemporary queer poet who is writing about Trump's presidency. Mm -hmm. Right. Like it's just a, I think it's just a matter of like reminding people that like all art is always being made at all times, you know? And it's like, it hasn't been mainstream part of cause like what we were talking about before, you know, where like academia shut it out and Mm. it becomes a tool of racism and classism. And it's like poetry has been regarded for only people at the university. Right. And like your general working person can't understand the complexities of T.S. Eliot or some shit, you know, where it's like, fuck that man. You know, it's like, Poetry is just shaped language for me. You know, it's like it's anytime you're crafting language in this certain way is is it's partly poetic, whether or not you call it a poem or not. That's always up for debate. What is a poem? Right. That's a question that blows everybody's mind and starts debate for hours and hours on end. But it's great to see it coming to the forefront now and perform like I mentioned button poetry earlier you know lots of other organizations are are putting poetry out on YouTube and Instagram people are writing poetry and stuff so it's like it's just great that it's like bubbling to the surface now again mm-hmm. and it's being kind of like let out yeah yeah and it, it's just amazing to to hear like just the the response and it's almost like it's just like the times and then you hear the hill we climb and like mm-hmm. every single line, it just hits a certain way that mm-hmm. resonates with everybody. And mm-hmm. you just it just you just kind of recognize, oh wow, words are powerful. Yeah. And the way it's shaped is powerful. Like you said, it's like poetry. Mm-hmm. When you hear a song and there's that one liner that just like is fire. Yeah. That's poetry in your ears right there. Yeah. And it, yeah. it's really it's really amazing because sometimes, um, like you said, people kind of forget poetry exists it, yeah. but it's really it's really always been there and that's why mm-hmm. i said it's like this it's living very under the radar until it doesn't and it yeah. it doesn't a lot more often than we think 
Yeah, no, 100%. And like you saying like that one line that hits you made me think of the word vulnerability. Mm. And like, I think as society and as more younger generations come to terms with being more vulnerable and like the stigmatism of mental illness and all the, like all the stigmatations yeah. um, that like sort of get washed away with time about being vulnerable, about talking about things that are maybe uncomfortable, like race or class or mental illness or whatever it may be. You know, mm -hmm. it's like you feel something when you feel something real, like right, real recognize real. Yeah, yeah. Right. It's like you're allowing yourself to be vulnerable in that moment because somebody else was vulnerable and you recognize that vulnerability and it hits you, you know, it's like, yeah, that's when empathy happens. And that's, that's what I try and teach in my, in my classes, right? It's like, just be vulnerable, be yourself as hard as that is. And I, and I always obviously have to say the caveat of like, which is really fucking hard. Yeah, <laughs> you know? it's totally. Like, it's not easy to be vulnerable and to say I'm struggling or whatever it may be. Right. Like, yeah. But that honesty rings true. It rings out. That's what gets rem That's why things get remembered. Yeah. I was just going to ask too, because you're so transparent about, you know, your experience with sobriety mm -hmm. and addiction. How has poetry and even just writing in general impacted you personally? I mean, fucking save my life. Like, mm, yeah, <laughs> like I just, I don't know. Like, I mean, I, like I said, I always wanted to be a writer. Oh, writing was always the thing that I wanted to do, whether it was hip hop or writing or producing or whatever. Like I just wanted to be making, you know, yeah. and writing was the thing that was driving me every day. Mm. And if something got in that way, it fucked with me, you know? And, yeah. and the thing that I realized that was fucking with me the most was using, you know, which mm. really was just a way to work through my anxiety and depression and all these things that like, I have my psychiatrist prescribe me medicine for now, you know, and right. like talk about in therapy and shit, you know? But yeah. it's like, writing was the thing that like, I was like, okay, like I, it, it just wasn't worth doing all the other shit, right? Like, writing and being successful not even being successful but like just writing as well as i could mm. i knew i wasn't living up to my potential to my standard right you know and it was like what's gonna help me do that and and shit here we are and it's what made you turn your life around and yeah you knew you wanted more mm -hmm. of yourself and, I, and obviously at that time i didn't know if that was gonna be it right like I was like, hmm, maybe if I stop drinking a fucking fifth every night, maybe I'll be able to write better. Hmm, maybe. Mm, yeah. And it was like, well, obviously hindsight, it's like, yeah, that was probably the right yeah. move, right? But like at the time, you're just stepping off the cliff, you know? You're like, okay, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully I fly or, you know, whatever. Yeah. In the moment, you have no idea if you're doing the right thing. Yeah. Wow. You just, I just trusted, I don't know. I just trusted myself. Like I, I've always known what I wanted. It's just, we get in our own way sometimes. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's incredible. I, I'm, I'm so happy to hear that you're like going for it. And Thank you, man. Yeah. Hey, you're going for it too, right? Like, hey, shit. That's, that's what we're doing. That's what we're here for. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're exactly. here to support each other. And then also just like, you know, I can remember the days clearly when we were both working where we were working. Mm -hmm. And there was... Man, it was rough. Uh, like there yeah. was good days and I loved the people that I was working with. Like the people mm -hmm. was the reason, like would be a reason why I would have stayed. But yeah. the the grind of that life was not, it, it would, it killed my soul creatively for a little bit. If, yeah. I'm, if I'm being like honest, like it just, you know, that feeling of what am I doing? Like this is, this yeah. is, is this it? <laughs> like, yeah. is this it? Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, like you said, you don't know when, when you start making those small incremental changes. Uh, my wife and I always say this analogy that we heard somewhere of pointing our toes to where we want to see our lives. Hmm. Not, we're not really making the action yet. We're just pointing our toes. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of what we did was when you start pointing your toes, at least when you're in this moment of like, is this it? Like, is this mm -hmm. what I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life? Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure you had the same similar feeling of you started pointing your toes and then eventually you'll start making the steps. Yep. Um, I love that. I love that. 
Yeah. I'm stealing that. That's going to be do a it. poem. Please. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> do it. Do it. Pointing my toes. That's good. I like that. See, yeah, we, poetry. I'm telling you, it's all around yeah. us all the time. When it's real, it's It's like a real. Disney movie. It's all around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I mean, I just, I'm so glad that we're, we're speaking right now and, and just supporting yeah. each other in our journeys and like even years down the line, like we're still doing yeah. it, which is cool. Yeah. So, um... Let's close this thing out. You actually wanted to share one of your pieces, which I'm stoked about. Um, So I'm super excited to hear this. I'd love to end this episode with the poem itself. So before we do that, just wanted to say thank you so much. I really enjoyed speaking with you. I'm glad we just stayed connected after all these years. We don't ever like call each other on the phone, but we know each other on Instagram. And when, you know, PSAV brother, we're we're connected. We're connected. No, thank you, man. It's it's the real recognized real thing, right? Yeah. Like, you know, like I've loved watching you follow your dreams and your passions and, you know, all of the Dogtown stuff, right? Yeah. Like, you know, all that stuff is so cool, you know? And I'm always like, man, like I should do some shit like that, you yeah. know? And it's like, I think that is just so important and valuable to any artist. Like if you're making art or whatever in any kind of way, if you're a craftsperson of any kind like just try and make community with that you know because that's that's the key that that's that's how you keep going you know it's like i wouldn't be here without all of the people who helped me along the way that's you included you know yeah sure and i'm so thankful man i appreciate you too man how um so how can people get a hold of you and find your work before we before we end this Website is always the best, Um, or Instagram. My website, joshcorsonmakes.com. I assume it'll be linked somewhere. Yeah. Um, My name is also my Instagram, so Josh Corson. Um, And yeah, you know, I'm posting stuff on my Instagram all the time. You know, whenever I'm getting poems published or whatever, they're going up on the website. Um, Yeah. Cool. And then um, just tell us a little bit about uh, your poem. What is it called and what's it about? Yeah. So this poem uh, is called Half-Life. Um, it's the title poem from my manuscript that I've been working on while at Pitt. So I'm almost done. I'm about to get the last round of edits back from my manuscript committee and stuff and um, start sending it out to first book contest. So this is this is the poem that, you know, the, the manuscript has the same title, Half-Life, and this is a poem about me and my friend and kind of growing up, and I don't know, it's just kind of a poem that kind of like lays out what I'm about, really, I think, in a, in a, in a way, and what the book is about, too, you know? So hopefully y'all like it. <laughs> I love it. All right, everybody, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Craft Talk. Please enjoy Josh performing one of his pieces, Half-Life. Take it away, Josh. Half-Life. Who am I to get away with sobriety, to be the fly and the spider, storm and the sun. All death takes is a fresh paycheck, a Tuesday with nothing to do. John drowned in his own blood, body a bayou of polluted rivers, his eyes, I'm sure, thrown wide with want, face ghost white, Cravings, shame-shocked. His obituary blamed his bowels. I must be seeing things. My fingertip, where I bit the nail. Now, a new one. This nail is long, trimmed, cylindrical. Mine are flat, unkempt. We spoke only a month ago. Sober, maybe a year. Back building computers. A one-bedroom in Michigan. I was in Chicago, coming up on three. It's at the knuckle now. This new me. This turning. The white knuckles they warn me of. How one can clench so to disappear. As if the ocean could spit out all its salt. Start fresh with the same shores, the same nagging waves, taking the beach bit by bit. I lived like that, fading for a while, came to call it strength. 
We'd scooter through Hyde Park, grind bike racks, spit on the sidewalk, lips gone, a Gatorade blue, swimsuit switch soon as we're home, shaved heads identical beneath the pool's quick slosh, the summer's trick of forever. When it took my hand, I knew. Did anyone ever earn each breath? body worthy of its dust and rattle. That it's John's hand relieves me, growing where once was me. Black hair where once was blonde. A tan line in the shape of a watch. Triathlons. He earned this. A new bud protruding through a dead limb. A chorus of branches whistling him into the wind. A budding businessman, he bought a VW Rabbit at 16. It's cobalt blue, brilliantly pure. A bad boy doing 90 in a 40. His coffin on wheels, my mom called it. I never thought I'd want to be someone else. Chest a little less muscular. Eyes blue-green, then brown. Let him live. Let him have this movie magic. I've been a mountaintop, balding and bright, watching the valley swell and swell into first a hill, then a ridge, until he takes even the sky. Each of my wildflowers turns in on itself, their roots scratching the sky, squeezing the air until they all dissolve. Their dust, some unworthy seed, spread throughout his new forest. Season's greetings. The Carters, 2000. I dug up John from the garage last summer. The sun high, stifling. I found another. Almost forgot. The picture's gloss. I asked my mom, is it really him? Boys buried in boxes. My birthday. The roller rink. My breath left quicker than expected. I was a boy. A breeze. A tree choked on its own leaves. I had wanted to say something. To leave my family with a son worth the grief. Down here, in a suit too big. Drowning in deluge of pine formaldehyde, I realize I was selfish to the last second, consumed in my half-life again, sucked into my mirror me, waiting for the right words to come, the point to all this guilt, unaware that I should have said. Thanks, y'all. Oof. Wow. Dude, thank you so much. Dude, thank you, man. I really appreciate this. This is awesome, man. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> thank on. you, man. Let me stop recording and just double check.